Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hello, listeners. This is Rebecca Monk from Ealing in London. And I'm delighted to say that you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you very much to Rebecca Monk from Ealing for your lovely intro there. Ealing, not far from my neck of the woods. Uh, and Ealing Broadway on the, uh, the Twyford-Paddington line, uh, which my dad used to commute to work on. Uh, so thank you, Rebecca, and welcome to our Day 7 Australian Open podcast. It's been a day of two sessions, I think, today. We've had the day session, which was sort of upsets galore, really. No sort of seismic, headline-grabbing, enormous upset, but quite a lot of, you know, low-key, big upsets. And then we've had the evening session, which is... Well, actually, full disclosure, it hasn't quite ended yet. It's 10 past 11 in the evening Melbourne time, which makes it 10 past midday, solly hole time. Uh, and Matteo Berrettini and Pablo Carreño Busta are still on court, but Berrettini has a two sets to love lead, but it's nip and tuck all the way. He could easily, you know, take the scenic route here. So we'll keep you updated so you get that out-of-date tennis news. But assuming that Berrettini does come through that, the evening session has gone according to script, if not been slightly disappointing. And I'm referring to, to Barty against Ines, Anisimova when uh, when I say that. And we will come on to talk about that uh, in a little while. But I think we should talk about the day session first because I wasn't really expecting any of what of what ended up happening in the day session today. Really, a lot of it took me massively by surprise. I think the only result that didn't surprise me was Krejcikova beating Azarenka, but the scoreline of that still massively surprised me. How one-sided it was mm. uh, for Krejcikova. Was it one of those days, Matt, when when the upsets ended up being infectious? What was going on at Melbourne Park today? It was a bit weird, actually, wasn't it? And I must say, those first two matches on the Rod Laver Arena, Paola Badosa versus Madison Keys and Barbora Krikshikova versus Victoria Azarenka, straight up were pretty disappointing as contests. I had really high hopes for them. I probably thought both would go three sets. Um, if we take them one at a time, I thought Keys Badosa was out first. And when you get a scoreline like that, I think it was 6 3, 6 1 to Madison Keys. There has to be two things going on. And absolutely, Madison Keys was awesome. You know, really, really brilliant. Just carried on the way she's been playing all year, really. Uh, teeing off on her shots. Her game looked sort of perfectly calibrated. It was powerful, but contained. She had 25 winners come the end of the match. She hit seven clean winners on return in the first set off Balossa's serve. Just really dominated on that shot and I think put a lot of pressure on Balossa who racked up the double faults as the match went on. She was excellent and it was fun to watch Madison Keys be like that. But at the same time, Balossa was way off. You know, she hit the wall, I think, frankly, today. She didn't have it in her legs. She didn't have it in her serve. And yes, she did quite well to make the start of the second set competitive. But as soon as she 
went down another break, it was it was all over, and it was it was a disappointing contest, really. Yeah, it was quite jarring to see her struggle physically that much. I think, and maybe maybe in the fullness of time, we'll find out that there was something going on that we don't currently know about. But on current information, she was just kind of kind of spent out there from all the tennis of winning the Sydney title, and in particular that three-setter against Marta Kostyuk a couple of days ago, played in the blazing heat of the day. You know, she referenced that. I was very surprised. I asked her about the heat that she was playing in once again today. And I was expecting her to sort of look at me, look at me funny and say, you know, I'm a Spaniard. I'm, I'm fine with the heat, thanks. And I'm, you know, she's clearly an incredible athlete and physical specimen. And she, she actually said, yeah, she did struggle in the heat today. And I was... I was really surprised by that. You know, she, she, goodness me, she looked exhausted. She looked gone in the post-match press conference. And with the benefit of hindsight, she looked the same after the Kostyuk match two days ago. I just thought that two days would be enough for her to recover. But yeah, she said, she said the, the heat got to her. And, and, you know, at that point I'm thinking, goodness me, is she perhaps not quite as fit as I, as I thought she was, but then, Maria Sakkari, who definitely is fit, uh, came in after her defeat to uh, Jessica Pagula, which we'll talk about in a little while. And she also said she struggled in the heat today. So I think if Maria Sakkari is saying it's a challenge, then probably it could get to anyone. But uh, it didn't get to Madison Keys, who's just loving life and a really uplifting story. Um, we We've sort of had smatterings of quotes coming out for her from her you know after she won the Adelaide title last week about her new perspective on the sport and where that's come from and you know she elaborated on that a bit today that I had the I had the, the chance to ask her a few questions in the press conference and you know she said she she had previously been feeling like the internal pressure she was placing on herself felt like a literal weight on her chest and a dark cloud hanging around her. She said she was suffering from anxiety, not sleeping, and she said she was not fun to be around. And she referenced, you know, a stern talking to that somebody gave her that kind of, you know, shook her around and made her think, I've got to start doing something something different here. And, you know, she says the difference is, I found a way to just enjoy tennis and love tennis. And uh, you love to hear that, David. Yeah, you do. And I, I I do feel for her in that way. And, and it's not that dissimilar to what we've heard from Naomi Osaka, isn't it, earlier this week about trying to override that system and not get into the whole, I'm supposed to be this, and I'm supposed to be ranked this, and I'm supposed to win this, and all the rest of it. And Madison Keys has had that since she came along as a teenager. I remember commentating on her when she was 18 years of age in the, in the Eastbourne final, um, alongside Martina Navratilova, who was just glowing with how exciting a player she was. And she beat uh, Angelique Kerber that day. And everybody was predicting this woman is going to be world number one. And, and well, I was well, we, as well. Well, we had, we had Brad Gilbert doing that on this podcast, didn't we? Yeah. Not not long before he blocked you on Twitter, David. <laughs> yes, he he's unblocked me since. Hi, Brad. Um, but yes, I did go through about a three-year three sort of, um, you know, freeze in the freezer, <laughs> frozen out. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, Keyes had all that pressure on her shoulders and, and I, think it, I think it got to her and I think it must get to a lot of these players and I... I'm sad about that because, well, you know, she probably doesn't even know who I am, but we are part of the media and we're part of that conversation, that narrative that happens. And and look, it's the way it is. We're, we're going to talk about the sport, but I do feel sad when a player struggles in the, in that situation. But equally, I'm I'm thrilled for her if she's managed to just shed those shackles now and play because she's a hell of a player. Um, and, you know... Uh, quite an experienced player, 26 years of age now. You, you referenced the major keys line matter a couple of days ago about how she has shown up at the big Grand Slam tournaments. It's just she hasn't won any of them. And, and it still feels as though even now we have yet to see her very best tennis at a Grand Slam properly strung together. Now, we might be seeing it right here. 
It's a bit like Gael Monfils. It's, it, I think Gael Monfils is playing the best tennis of his career right now. Maybe Keyes is. And, and that's really exciting to think because t- tools-wise, her game has not been overtaken. She hits the ball as hard as anybody. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was, it was drawing gasps, wasn't it, from from the crowd, particularly uh, on on the forehand wing today. It, it is still gasp-inducing power from Madison Keys, and she was asked about that actually. You know how conscious she is of the power that she produces and the effect that it has on people watching, and the answer was, you know, not very not very aware of it. She said it's so natural to her and so normal that. You know, she actually said that's probably why I overhit sometimes because you know I'm I'm calibrated for that to be that to be standard. Um, and she she talked about how um, her her grandfather, I think it was, she said, really was into baseball. And when she was starting to play tennis as a kid, uh, she was trying to hit home runs <laughs> rather than hit winners. And she kind of said, I think for better or for worse, and for worse. That explains my game, uh, wow. and it was a, a it was a lovely little self aware moment. Yeah, it really was. And it's power that takes other players back because Balossa had never played her before, and she said that she thought she was serving really slowly, Balossa, because of how easily and how quickly Keys was returning the serve. And then she would look at the shot clock and realize, no, no my serving pace was. Perfectly good. It was up at its usual 180 kilometers per hour or whatever it is. It's just that Keyes has a ball strike that Balossa hadn't really witnessed before or felt before, wow. I think. And it and it took her back. And, and I think on the ground strokes, Balossa's ball was sitting right in the Keyes strike zone, I must say. It, it, Keyes was able to get on top of it and just really dominate the rallies. Yeah, she was she was awesome. She plays Barbora Krejcikova now, who she described in her press conference as someone that makes tennis look easy. Uh, Krejcikova beat Victoria Azarenka today, 6-2, 6-2. And it was just never close. It just wasn't the match that any of us wanted it to be. Um, Krejcikova just looked like she had so much time on the ball um, throughout the match, which which is sort of the magic trip that she's constantly performing, isn't it? And Azarenka was receiving treatment throughout the second set for an issue with her neck. Looks like looks like she looked like she's had what I've had for the past few days, which is just sort of sleeping a bit funny and getting a crick in your neck, which sounds, you know, so a bit like blisters really, so pedestrian and so temporary and yet kind of so crippling yeah, at the same playing, time. Try playing Barbora Krejcikova with a crick in your neck and you're yeah. not going to get very far. Mm. I saw Goran Ivanisevic win a semi-final, uh, I think it was in Miami one year, in the, in the mid-90s, and he was due to... He played brilliantly all the way through. You know, he'd been knocking out big names, gets through, plays Agassi in the final, and he sleeps a bit funny. And he comes out onto the court the next day and he played two games and he had to retire. Couldn't serve. Just couldn't. He couldn't even roll his arm wow. over properly, and uh, they had to call Jim Courier down from Dade County to come and uh, play an exhibition with Agassi on the spot in order to just <laughs> give the crowd something to watch. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, yeah, it's sort of game over for doing anything anything normal. I sort of I I I couldn't look over at Matt normally a couple of days ago because of the because of the crick in my neck. I was having to do a sort of weird robotic turning my whole body in order to to speak to him. Um, So uh, Krejcikova through to the quarterfinals. She, she kept saying in the, in the on-court post-match interview um, after that, when I just can't believe it, I just can't believe it. So I asked her in her press conference, you know, about that disbelief, you know, I said, you know, when do you think that'll end? And she said, Oh, I wouldn't describe it as disbelief. And I felt like, Chipping back, you literally did describe it that way, um, but I didn't. I'm actually surprised you didn't. <laughs> um, no, she was she was being really, she was really thoughtful about it. Actually, she said, you know, she spent a lot of time trying to think of the exact word to describe it. And she at first she came up with surprised, and she said, oh, it's not it's not quite surprised. She said, oh, I, you know, I I can't think of the word in English, but she she said. Something has changed for her in the off season. 
in terms oh. of how she how she appreciates her success. She said the off season was the first opportunity she got to process her new success and her new status in the game. And as much as on the court today in the moment of victory, she was saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Um, I think she can believe it. I think what she was saying in press, you know, with the benefit of a bit of time and consideration was I actually can believe it now. I, I accept my new status in the game and there's no imposter syndrome there. She knows she's earned it and deserves to be there. Um, I think what she's trying to get across with the disbelief is that she'll never take it for granted. Yeah, that's that's how it, that's how it sounds from what you describe, and that she's just chuffed to bits about it because she's been somewhere else in her career where she had all this in doubles, but she never really assumed that this would just happen for her in singles, and and then it did, and I, and I can understand what you mean. I mean, it you win the French Open. You're straight off to Wimbledon and you do, do all of those things. And then you're off in the summer to – you've got the Olympics and you've got the, 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 the US Open and she played the Billie Jean King Cup final and she plays the WTA finals. There is not a moment to really process what's happened to you. And when it is such a massive shift the way it is for her, then I, I really get that. And um, and I actually think her, her loving – the life, her, her loving the achievement and not just assuming this is what happens because that wasn't built into her and programmed into her from a young age necessarily is is one of the most endearing elements about watching her and, and enjoying her career, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, critique of a keys is, is definitely one to tune in for. I think that would be a cracker in a couple of days' time. Uh, the other... Uh, quarterfinal that we've set up today from this top half of the draw will be Jessica Pagula against Ash Barty. Now, I suppose Pagula beating Sakari isn't a massive upset. Sakari would have been the favourite on paper, but we know how close their meeting was in Miami last year. Sakari saving six points to come through in the end. Pagula beat Sakari 7-6-6-3 today. And while that first set obviously was close going to the tiebreak, Pagula won that tiebreak seven points to none. It's pretty rare that you see that. Sometimes you see, you know, a six and zero lead, but it's very rare that there's a a clean sweep and a tiebreak. And she played a terrible tiebreak, Maria Sakkari, didn't she, Matt? And she never really recovered from that. No, she didn't. It was an error-strewn tie-break. Um, and I think what was interesting is something Pagula said in, in her press conference that, okay, she lost to Zachary in, in Miami, but she got so close to winning, she knew she could win. You know, it's not like she was blown off the court by Zachary. She knew that her game hurt Zachary that day. And I, what I really like about Jessica Pagula is she understands her game and the limits of it, I think, perfectly now at, at this stage in her career. She knows what she's good at and she knows what she's not so good at. And she knew today that taking on Zachary in a grind fest, she was not going to win that match. She had to be the one getting the first strike in. She had to be the one hitting the strong returns, and she did. She played the sort of match on her terms, I felt like, and she's so even-tempered on court. She's so measured that I think it makes her a great front-runner. She doesn't allow doubt to creep in as she nears the finish line. She just sort of stays on, on her track, and as soon as she took the ascendancy in that second set never really felt like Zachary was was actually going to come back. I think Pagula was kind of in control throughout and she was she was the better player. She deserved to win. That second set was strange from Zachary and, and there was a, a reference in, in press from Pagula that she, she kind of knew, not that she had to get it done in two sets, but it was a whole different match if it went to three sets because of Zachary's physicality and her her ability to not fade and wilt in in challenging conditions but as I, as i said Zachary struggled in those conditions and she's you know i asked her about the heat and she said yeah 
I did really feel it today. And she sort of mused a bit and she said, it might have been the stress that made me feel it today. And right. the stress is what concerns me about Zachary. Mm. Um, you know, in her first round match, she won in, in straight sets in the end, but it was it was always making me anxious to watch how tight she looked. And I know she's got that very... Um, <laughs> That very tight, you know, muscular... It's not a loose game, is it? It's a very muscular game. Um, So it's always going to look a a bit tighter and a bit... I keep saying tight. I'm looking for vocabulary But I understand what you mean. I I just feel there's a a tension and a stress in her that can can overcome her. There are, and there are different types of fitness. I, I mean, I, she's clearly supremely fit. And when you look at her as well, it's it's breathtaking to see how chiseled she is and all, all the rest of it. But I, I, I think there's something in that, both in terms of the stress. I think you can end up gripping the racket too tightly because she wants it so much, and that can tire you out. The heat, obviously. But also, you know, uh, sprinters are built incredibly... Mm, as muscular individuals, aren't they? But the the marathon runners are are skinny and lithe, and they don't carry much muscle. I mean, there used to be uh, the the boxer Frank Bruno, who was the most well conditioned athlete imaginable to look at him, and yet he would run out of steam uh, as fights would go on because he was heavy and he was muscular. Now, I don't necessarily think that that's the case with Zachary. I've seen her play long matches; she's never looked like she's run out of gas to me. But I think there's something in it. That, yeah, you. She she does. I think probably want it so much that it's hard to just let it go in the tight moments and, and let, enable her to play her freest tennis. Um, and 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 I think the flip side of that is exactly what we saw against Pagula in that Miami match that time. She's match point down. Surely she's not going to win. She goes for broke because she's loose because it's 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 gone. And then suddenly she's playing out of her mind. Um, I know it's not always going to be a hard, fast rule, all that, but I think there's something in it. Matt, you've got a very big Greek prediction mm. on the line in 2022. I know it's very early days. And to be fair, Zachary, there was no panic in her at all. She was disappointed with this defeat. She said she'd be really down in the dumps for 24 hours, but she said this does not affect how I feel about my 2022 season. But she doesn't have all of her credibility riding on her 2022 season the way you do, Matt. How, how are you feeling? You know, I I thought the Australian Open would be a good chance for her, actually. I must say, she she, she likes playing in Melbourne. She gets the support. Um, given her physical prowess that we've just talked about, I feel like start of the season is a sort of one where she could take advantage of that a little bit on some other players it's a blow tonight. it's a blow not gonna lie it's a blow it shows um, by the way just how another example today is a perfect example of the strength of women's tennis the these are cracking players that are losing to other cracking players and you know you it's but but it makes makes the business of actually trying to pick out who's going to end up winning harder than ever yeah, who would devise a predictions competition? <laughs> Only fools. Um, so to round up uh, our review of the women's matches today, Pagula in the quarterfinals will face the toughest task in tennis at the moment. She'll take on the top seed, the world number one, Ash Barty, because Barty beat Amanda Anisimova in a match that Matt and I watched live on the Rod Laver Arena. Matt, Matt and I shared a kangaroo dinner. Uh, whilst sitting with uh, with Simon Briggs, uh, who was inquiring about how he could see the comments on his uh, on his the the Instagram post of his his tennis prowess, um, <laughs> he can't. Uh, but we can pass them on to him. And I've, we have been. I've selectively passed on the you know the ones he, on the, he would like to see. On the subject of Instagram activity, uh, Catherine's Q&A tonight, which was excellent. The one thing I disagreed with you about, Catherine, is... Not marry avoid. Yeah, I thought I'd 
I thought I'd opt out of uh, of a view on that one. Um, but uh, the 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 one that I do have a view on is who's got the best chance of stopping Ash Barty, which you said, and I understand why you said a bit some a big hitter. Well, you know she's just played a big hitter in Anisimova, and um, and she's carved her up. Okay, Anisimova got the break of serve that we thought she would get in the show last night. But the, the player I think who's got the best chance of stopping Ash Barty is Simona Halep. You know, she's beaten her three times out of four and she she can go toe-to-toe with her and move with her. And I don't think many of the others can. Okay, a couple of things. One, don't <laughs> quote me out of context, David. Um, what I said exactly was, I think it has to be somebody that can overpower her, but... It's so difficult for the big hitters to hit their stride against her because of all her slicing and dicing. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's a bit of fence sitting there, I suppose. But look, she I, I would contest that she played the the statement that she played a big hitter tonight. Amanda Anasimova did not look like a big hitter tonight. She couldn't really get those strikes in. Barty just it was a different sport to what we saw Amanda Anisimova and Naomi Osaka playing two nights ago. You know, that description from Osaka of it being like table tennis tennis. It couldn't have been further from that tonight. Amanda Anisimova just couldn't play the match on her terms. What I'm talking about with Barty is somebody, a bit like Keyes did to Bedosa today, somebody that just comes out and belts it and hopes to just redline it for a whole match and stay there. Um, you know, just takes the racket out of Barty's hand somehow. Anisimova did not do that tonight. She did do the impossible and break the Barty serve, but it was a it was a lone moment really in a, in a sea of flailing really for Anisimova. You've got to be able to do something with the Barty slice. Like I think that is key to being able to play her, and Anisimova couldn't deal with it tonight. I mean. The number of unforced errors she hit, even off that glorious backhand, trying to deal with the Barty slice. I mean, they were numerous. She she didn't know. She didn't know whether to sort of, I think, push it back or really swing hard at it. And the errors just mounted up. And Barty used it to outmaneuver her. And she would often hook the forehand cross court and then slice into the open court for a winner. Just... You know, Anisimova really had no answers to Barty's variety. It felt very early on to me that Barty had a clear game plan which was going to work and Anisimova was going to have to figure it out kind of on the fly. And Mm. I thought this would be a more difficult match because of, you know, Anisimova riding this crest of a wave that she's on. And just I just thought her sheer confidence might make her figure it out. But actually, Barty... Barty quashed that confidence pretty quickly and I think Anisimova was left with quite a few doubts of just what what do I do against this player? Yeah. No one else I've played plays like this. I think as well she it makes because of that variety when she did get her chances and she got a few, you know, she mm. had she had several break points actually aside from breaking the serve and it's in the one time she did. And when when and I think it probably made her panic a bit because when she she missed two backhand mm. returns long off mate you know right in the slot they were they were there for her and she just overhit and i'm sure that's anxiety of just i've got to i've got to hit the living daylights out of it you know um and yeah as you say Catherine, it's kind of the genius of barty isn't it nobody else the uniqueness nobody else has got that mm. yeah i mean she look, she she was just Brilliant tonight, wasn't she? And uh, she was interviewed by Jim Courier on the court after the match and she was asked to kind of compare and contrast this Australian Open with last Australian Open when I think she played a match. She played one of her matches during the mini lockdown that happened and, you know, she just said, obviously, this year is just, you know, a whole lot more fun, I think she said. And uh, Jim Courier was, was drawing, you know, cheekily drawing some parallels with Barty between this run and some of the opponents that she was playing and runs she's had at Grand Slams that she's gone on to win or tournaments that she's gone on to win. And, you know, he said, I, th- I think the 
the killer delivery line was, is it a good omen? And she said, well, we'll see, won't we? And, you know, you don't usually get a lot from Ash Barty. She usually shuts stuff like that down. But it was just a little moment of, yeah, I am feeling good. Yeah, it was. And just going back to this question of who might beat her or what sort of style of play might beat her, I'm trying to think of the losses she took last year. And obviously the Australian Open was Mukova. That would be someone who sort of not quite can match the variety, you know, can sort of deal with it, I think. Um, the US Open is interesting because Shelby Rogers is a big hitter and she is someone who can overpower Barty. But my memory from that match is that it was actually when she started moonballing and looping the ball in the final set that she started troubling Barty. Uh, and then obviously there's the rivalry Barty had with Sabalenka last year where Sabalenka did manage to completely overpower Barty in one of their meetings, but generally Barty had had the better of that. And I think I think my sort of conclusion would be it might not really matter what the style of player is. I think I think it's going to depend on Barty. I think Barty is going to determine her own fate in this tournament. She can beat anyone and she probably should beat everyone left. She is the best player in the world. But I don't know whether it's just going to be the occasion or the moment that might get to her more than an opponent, perhaps. And we might just we might just get a flat Barty performance like we have seen. I, I, I don't think we will. I think she's handling it all very well. But that, to me, would sort of be more what I would worry about rather than a specific opponent, perhaps. I think that could happen against anyone. But the Halep head-to-head is, is interesting. I hadn't done my homework and research and looked at the Halep head-to-head before. I hadn't looked at all the head-to-heads before I started doing my my Instagram Q&A. This is why we have a podcast, to expand mm. on on things. Yeah, stick, to, stick to snog, marry, avoid <laughs> questions in future, Catherine. Don't try and have opinions about tennis. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. How about the men's action that we saw today? Well, there was one 
medium-sized upset in the men's draw. Denis Shapovalov beat Alexander Zverev 6-3, 7-6, 6-3. This is big for Denis Shapovalov. It's his first victory over a top five player since his breakthrough victory, since he beat Rafael Nadal in 2017, uh, four and a half years ago now, uh, at uh, the Montreal Canada Masters, of course. And um, that's the day that Rafael Nadal remembers very well. Um, We'll be hearing from him in exchange I had with him in the press conference in just a moment. But to deal with this match, you've got, that record from Shapovalov, and you've got the fact that Zverev is now still yet to beat a top 10 player in a Grand Slam. Obviously, Shapovalov, not top 10, but he's lost to him and therefore not put himself in an opportunity to beat a top 10 player. And he's he's 4-15 and 15 against top 20 players at Grand Slams. This That's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. There's something going on there in best of five tennis, David. Mm, yeah, there, there must be. Uh, and yet I thought that was behind us. I really did. And to me, it is a bigger upset than a medium-sized one because of that. He, I know the end of season isn't necessarily the the moment that we should be assuming things. There are so many examples of Sitsipas and Dimitrov and, and many other players who've who've won the end of season and Zverev himself twice now winning the end of season finals and then not doing much in Australia. But I thought with the Olympics and with his good performance at the US Open and with the ATP finals and with honestly with his just absolute cast iron certainty in his own mind that this is the year he's coming for everybody and he's going to win one of these things and he may well but he, he did look as though he couldn't even in countenance the idea that that he wouldn't be one of frankly the new big three pretty much this year and he has been comprehensively outplayed today by a, a guy who who reminded us just just how talented he is just how 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 much dynamite there is in his own ground strokes because it, the way Shapovalov handled Zverev today was like the the kid in the playground standing up to the bully and saying, you are not going to push me around anymore. I've had enough of this. And and he was controlled and he and he, he just he just made Zverev combust, both in terms of his attitude. I mean, it was an absolutely violent racket smash, three parts. But also his game started to fall apart. The forehand started to just shank the, the serve started to miss. And I think, and I know Zverev doesn't think he played very well, he said afterwards. He did give some credit to Shapovalov, but he said, I, did, I played terribly. But I think he was also made to play terribly by Shapovalov hanging in with him, not going away, and deflecting his power onto him. Are you saying, David, that this is a new Denis Shapovalov, a mature Denis Shapovalov, a different Denis Shapovalov? Well... You're saying the, you saying the hype train, a, a close relative of the night train, <laughs> uh, can, can start can start rolling again. I, I look. I absolutely think that this could be a starting point. Now we saw uh, a, a run to the semis last year at Wimbledon that was truly exciting from Shapovalov, but it felt so isolated. That felt like everything else in his career to date, which is a joy to watch, glorious when it's on. But the chances of it happening regularly or even just frequently are are small because of the way he approaches his career. And, and that's led to me being critical of him. And I'm critical of him with affection because I like him as a, a lad. I think he's a nice lad. I think he's an absolutely sensational talent. But I think he's under-delivered on his career to this point. Now, um he started this year with a new coach. You you spoke to him a couple of days ago and you got some really interesting insight from Dennis in our newsletter about how why he's chosen to work with Jamie Delgado, who used to coach Andy Murray and the things that he hopes to bring. Well, um, before we came on tonight and after that match today, I, I got in touch with Jamie, who I've I've known for a long time, and just asked about how he's trying to help Dennis, what the idea is they have are together and and also what what he did today 
in Dennis's corner to try to prepare for Zverev, whether there was anything specific. And and he said a lot of the things that I think make an awful lot of sense to us on the tennis podcast as as seasoned Dennis Shapovalov watchers of not always trying to go from winners no matter where you are in the court. Much as, Catherine, you've always just drooled over the sort of two feet off the ground backhand inside out flourished and we all love it it makes for tennis tv clips that do a million views and all the rest of it but how many matches does it does it win him um not enough i would say and now jamie wasn't getting into all that but he was saying he's got to improve his game um on the defence, and he's got to get more returns in. And look who he's just beaten, back-to-back. Riley Apelka, seven foot tall, and Alexander Zverev, one of the biggest serves in the sport. And he's got a hell of a lot of returns back in court. You know, and they planned for Zverev. That was clear just just in the eye test of watching Denis Shapovalov today. That wasn't just Denis going out there and being Denis. That was prepared for the opponent. And you know, stuck in there, beat him comfortably, really, in straight sets. He could have beaten him even more comfortably. He was just a better player than him, hands down, today. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, De- Dennis referenced it in that interview with you the other day, Catherine, that one of the reasons he's gone for Jamie Delgado is because of all the time he spent with Andy Murray. Now, even though a lot of that has been incredibly frustrating years of rehab and not being able to get out on the court, he will have seen Jamie Delgado what Andy Murray does to get himself ready for tournaments. I mean, Jesus Christ, how has he got himself even back out on the court, Andy Murray, over the last few years? Jamie will have seen all this. And and I think it's a great sign that Shapovalov sees that as something he wants to tap into himself. You know, this could be the start of something. Really could. There it is. All aboard the night train. I'm aboard. Drip, drip. Bring it on. We you know, and love I, the start of something. I got I got so many tweets and emails in the last twenty four hours, um, uh, particularly from Canadian tennis watchers saying, "Why are you so on Felix and Denis Shapovalov case?" And I said, "Did you listen to the end of last night's podcast?" And all of them said, "Oh no, I haven't got that far yet." Because uh, that was the bit where I actually said, you know, maybe maybe they're starting to to do something here, and even. But even I also their... think perhaps you know we really want them to do something, don't we? Yeah, we, we really like them like both. We both love to watch them, and that's why you know we end up talking about them a lot and just willing them on, and therefore feeling disappointed when they when they don't yeah. deliver on what we think they're capable of. We we. We really wish them well. We like them in the interview room. We like them on the court. It is. It's fair. You know, we can't hold back just because we like them. We're here to say what we think. Uh, Also, what we think is we hope good things for them. But have they under-delivered the last two years? Yes, they bloody well have. So good luck to them now because this feels like something – and I include Felix in that as well. I think he's showing something this year. Not there yet. I think this is more impressive, frankly, from Shapovalov, what he's just done. But maybe maybe Ogele Asim is the next one. Chapovalov said on the court he thought he played smart tennis. And my opinion on that was while watching him, I thought he was still hitting big, but not going for the lines. He was hitting mm. hard to big areas of the court, big targets. And exactly as you say, David, he's still got such pace on his shots that... He doesn't need to hit the line. As long as he's still hitting a big ball, he is going to knock even someone like Alexander Zverev back and he is going to be able to take charge of rallies. And I thought he did that really, really well today. And yeah, for Zverev, it's pretty... Is it pretty unprecedented how he manages to make best of three and best of five just look like completely different sports or like just his results are completely different he is really good on the tour I mean no question about it he has had some great wins over best of three sets and won big titles but all these stats about his about his record at slams okay I know he reached the US Open final and he's genuinely you know made progress at the slams a little bit but he's not had to do it by beating really top players and it's almost like to me he's had a bit too much success playing in a way 
which isn't conducive to beating top players and winning big titles. You know, we've always joked about his, you know, in the past, how he used to go five sets. He used to win those matches. So it wasn't like the style wasn't working. He was still getting through. And then when he comes up against the top players, it's like he sort of thinks, oh, well, I'll, I'll do that still because that, that's been working. And it doesn't. I mean, he gets exposed, quite frankly, when he, when he plays someone who's at the top of their game like Shapovalov was today. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's not a fitness thing. I think, I think no. the fitness there, it, it, fitness is there. It's not, it's, not, it's not that element of best of five set tennis that's, that's the issue. It's, it's all the other implications thereof. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting one. Um, I do think there's an assumption in him that he's going mm. to win really mm. and mm. and if he plays his tennis it will be enough and the thing is if somebody stands up to it i don't know whether he's gotten he's got anywhere to go and um that that's what happened today i mean the, the other thing jamie pointed out to me was stats on on his ground stroke speed for shapovalov fourth fastest forehand he reckons and third fastest back at and this you know this is publicly available information but it's just that is a great thing to know that you've got in your in your repertoire is that pace of shot, but it's how you use it. If you're trying to hit blinding winners every single time, as Matt said, it's just not necessary. I'm sure because if you, if you look at the the best players in the world, Rafael Nadal, Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic, three of the best of all uh, of certainly of the last twenty years anyway, they they're not hitting necessarily the most winners. Uh, in a, in any given tennis match, and yet they're winning the most matches. So you know, I mean, Danny Valverde take, when he was take working a leaf with them out of the uh, out of the Madison Brengel book. <laughs> I mean, a win's a win. One winner. So, some of the best tennis. Uh, One winner that, is that, sometime um, enough. Sometime some of the tennis that Dimitrov played three or four years ago when he reached the semis was with Danny Valverde, who just seemed to simplify his mind into just forehand movement serve. You know, focus on those things, and um, and find repeatable ways to win win points. And uh, anyway, I, it was a very exciting performance from Shapovalov, and and a very very professional one too. Mm. And he'll need the same, won't he, in the quarterfinal where he'll be facing Rafael Nadal. Nadal beat Adrian Manorino today. In three sets, that sentence by no means tells the story of this match. There was a 28-minute first set tiebreak, won by Nadal, 16-14. It was, and I know we've used this word a lot, but it was epic. It was the longest tiebreak of Nadal's career in terms of points anyway, I should think in terms of time. And it was epic. I mean, it was really high quality. They were both coming up with brilliant shots. There was a Nadal forehand pass, which we both sort of jumped out of our chairs at. There was a there was a Manorino forehand onto the line to save set point, which I think we all thought had gone out and turned out it, it had brushed the line. It was it was stunning, actually. And Manorino was flagging, I think, a bit physically during it. Um but it was, it was. Well, he didn't know he was going to be playing the dolls. <laughs> so he didn't know how tough it was going to be. <laughs> and then, you know, Nadal just wouldn't give in, would he? he? He saved multiple set points. He wasn't phased by the fact that his were coming and going. It was, a, it was an unbelievable tiebreak. And I think the first set lasted longer than the second and third set put together. That was the match, really, right there and then. And as soon as Nadal won it, he. He was away, wasn't he? He was so happy after that win. He has been so happy all tournament. You know, we, we've covered this after his last couple of victories. He he didn't expect to be anywhere near here. Just, I mean, quarterfinals of the Australian Open. I mean, at the start of the tournament, before he'd even taken the court, he said, you know, if you'd offered me just being in the draw at the Australian Open a few months ago, he said, I would have signed the paper. That was his sort of expression that he was, he said it on the court as well. He said, I would, I would have signed for that. Um, and here he is in the quarterfinals playing, playing brilliantly, 
really, really brilliantly. He's, you know, it's just, it's the same as we've said after many of his other wins this tournament so far. Sight for sore eyes, it really is. And I cannot wait to see him take on Denis Shapovalov in a couple of days' time. Nadal's beaten him every time they've played since uh, that breakthrough victory that Shapovalov had in in 2017. And as I said, that was something that I asked Rafael Nadal about after his win today. Just wanted to ask you about your next opponent, Denis Shapovalov, um, and actually your first meeting with him back in 2017. I know you've played since then, but that day he beat you in Canada. What are what are your memories of that match? And well, what have you it, made of his progress since then? It was a tough one, that one, I remember, because I was playing for the number one. Uh, but uh, he played great. Uh, honestly, he was very young and he played with uh, amazing intensity and uh, creating amazing shots. And, uh, yeah, as everybody knows, he's, he's one of the players with the biggest uh, potential on, on the tour. Uh, I mean, when I played against him, uh, after the match, I said he's going to be a potential multi uh, Grand Slam winner. Uh, and I still think that uh, if uh, if he is able to keep improving, he will be a, a multi Grand Slam winner. You know? He has a, a lot of uh, amazing things on, on his game, and uh, and his results say that when he's playing well. Uh, it's very difficult to stop him now. So uh, you can see today against uh, a great player like Sasha, Stray Sets, if he's able to play uh, regular in terms of his level, um, yeah, going to be a, a potential very, very high-ranking player. So going to be a tough one for me, uh, but I'm in quarterfinals. What, <laughs> what to expect? No, I, I, I mean. Is a is a match to to try my best to play at my highest level if I want to have chances to 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 go through and uh, yeah I'm excited about it honestly no I didn't expect to be where I am uh, weeks ago. I mean he really is excited he genuinely is every time he said he says I'm in the quarterfinals he just has this enormous grin on his face. It's uh, it's wonderful to see. But I found that quite interesting, or very interesting, in fact, what he said about Denis Shapovalov. And I know there's a big, you know, Nadal, if, if, if in there, you know, if he keeps improving, that is a big if. But I still think that's a big prediction. You know, I, mm. I toss big rogue predictions out left, right and centre. And I'm not saying he's going to be a multi-Grand Slam champion. Um, he might be, but I certainly wouldn't, you know, step my neck on the line the way the way he has. I find that very interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the things Nadal will really appreciate in Shapovalov as a tennis player because I think he will appreciate how hardworking he is, how how seriously he takes his career. You know, hiring someone like Jamie Delgado, looking for that little edge. Um, I think he will know from their meeting in in Rome last year actually on the clay that was I think that might have gone to a deciding set tie break it was very very close he knows Shapovalov can hurt him um but it's interesting because that that Montreal win in 2017 it's kind of it's kind of defining for Shapovalov you know it was sort of carefree playing without abandon, you know, playing with abandoned tennis, you know, and it's the sort of tennis you can do when you're coming onto the tour and it's the sort of tennis he's tried to keep doing the whole time, like we've been talking about. And actually what he probably needs to do, just as we've said, is slightly move away from that and become more disciplined. And if he is doing that, then that probably makes him a more dangerous prospect, really. And I think I think Nadal will... Will know that. I think he. I mean, he got caught that night by Shapovalov, and everything was going in, and it was incredible, and the atmosphere was electric. But I think he will think Shapovalov's more dangerous if he's actually disciplined and playing smart tennis, as we've described. Yeah, Nadal isn't seduced by a feet off the ground 
single-handed, inside-out, backhand, the way some of us are. <laughs> um, so Nadal against Shapovalov in uh, in a couple of days' time. The other quarterfinal from that half will be uh, Matteo Bertini against Gael Morfis. We've just watched Matteo Bertini win through in three tight sets against Pablo Carina Busta. Kind of, I think, what we all expected Berrettini to be too strong in the end. I think he was... Well, certainly at the time we started recording, so early doors in the third set, he was serving 80% first serves in, they said, on uh, on Channel 9, which is fearsome stuff. Karenia Buster gives you, gives you nothing for free, so kept it tight, but Berrettini too strong. But, David, you've already said in this podcast that Guillermo Fis, aged 35, is playing the tennis of his life. Tell us <laughs> yes. why. Well, I mean, I may be getting seduced as well by the whole <laughs> the whole moment, the whole feel. He makes me feel so great watching him at the moment and because he's clearly enjoying it so much. I was a bit worried for him in the third set against uh, Miamir Kitsmanovic because he was sort of hunched over on his knees looking as though he was not far out of gas, to be honest, uh, Monfils. But the ball striking we were witnessing, he decided to go out there and meet fire with fire because Kitsmanovic hits a big ball. And the second set tiebreak they played, I mean, all three sets were really close, 7-5, 7-6. This is, this is the kind of match it was. But the second set tiebreak, I don't think there was a point ended that wasn't a winner from either side of the net. Every, it was just gasp-inducing from both players because Kitsmanovic just goes for it. And Monfils clearly just decided to stand toe-to-toe. And I've seen it a few times in his career when he's done that. He 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 reached the Monte Carlo final a few years ago and beat Federer and Dimitrov back-to-back, just blasted them off the court. And I've often thought, why don't we get that more from Gael Monfils? Why does he get involved in these rallies that are incredible to watch but which are not really that efficient and not really getting him that much benefit and here he is now. It's just again, he just seems to be playing with a, with use that word abandon and enjoyment and joy and and I, I loved it and and I feel like he's really dangerous and and he he referenced his his record his match against Berrettini losing seven six in the fifth against him at the U.S. Open a couple of years ago. He said that in his post match on court interview and. That could be a crack. If he's fully fit, that's a big question. But if Monfils is fully fit, he might do it. Well, he said in his post-match on-court interview, I'm not finished yet. And uh, asked about his next opponent, he said, whoever it is, I'm going to be ready for them. It's, it. it's, it's business bun, Monfils, is what <laughs> yes. it is. And we all absolutely love it, I think. And uh, yeah, Monfils... Berrettini is is what I wanted to see from that quarter and uh, I'm delighted that that is going to play out. Um, One other line to bring you from today, um, as reported by WTA Insider and um, Reem Abelil, the journalist from The the National, uh, drew my attention to this on Twitter today. A couple of massive milestone in the junior competition today and please excuse my attempt at pronunciation here these aren't names um, we're familiar with yet although we very well might be one day but we have Mesh Katulzara Safi becoming the first girl from Iran to win a Grand Slam juniors match and in about 35 degree she was out there in a headscarf um and you know uh long sleeve top and and uh, leggings as well and you know there was a time when women weren't allowed to play tennis in leggings not that long ago um so extraordinary to see that an incredible story and we had Angela Okutoyi becoming the first girl from Kenya to win a Grand Slam juniors match and I know it's something that the ITF are very invested in, you know, diversifying um, the presence of tennis around the world and making it more possible for people from non-traditional tennis countries and area to be a- areas to be able to play the sport. And obviously, there's a, there's a heck of a long way to go in that re- regard. But these things matter, you know, their progress, and um, we'll be following their progress through the tournament as well. 
I think that's it for your day seven podcast. We're now officially time-wise at the halfway stage of the tournament. With the business end, things get very real now and we can't wait. We are loving being here. We're loving covering this tournament. We're loving chatting to David every night and getting his, you know... Hot takes. Hot takes and, (laughs) you know, chats with chats with coaches um we're loving it it's it's absolutely brilliant so thanks to friend of friends of the pod for making it possible uh we've still got seven more of these things to come and there'll be a review show for friends of the pod as well um coming in the days after this podcast we've got charlie our lovely beagle mascot uh we love charlie and we love charlie content keep it coming phil and gina his owners in Chicago. Uh, Billy Jean is uh, with Rosie this weekend, and there might be some Billy Jean and Rosie content coming your way on Instagram if you head over there. Uh, she's sponsored by Billy Jean King and Ilana Kloss. Uh, David's got Darwin. Right, Darwin. You got points today, David. No, you didn't get points today. No, we'll move on. I didn't get points either. Uh, we were left with the crumbs off the table, David, predictions wise. Um, Matt and Gerald did score points, but we won't dwell there. Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner are our executive producers and top blokes. And I'd just like to say just a very quick general shout out to everybody that has come and said hello and said nice things about the podcast to to Matt and me uh, while we've been out and about at Melbourne Park. Um, and also our staff to David uh, and uh, said they miss your very long arm, David, for selfie-taking purposes. <laughs> uh, we've had that a few times. So thank you very much. It really means a lot to us. Sorry if we're sort of ever a bit weird and awkward. We're, it, it overwhelms us a little bit. Um, we'll never get used, I don't think, to, to people coming and wanting photos with us. But it's very touching, and thank you very much. Matt, we have shout-outs. Also, I am just a bit weird and awkward. Um <laughs> We have Rachel Jones today, originally from Wolverhampton. Hey! She, she now lives in Volero, which is near Zurich in Switzerland. Oh. I'd call that an upgrade. Would you, David? Well, yeah. I mean, Wolverhampton, uh, up the road from where I live. And my team's biggest rivals, Wolves. Mm. Well, one of them anyway, one of them in Villa. Uh, but anyway... I like Rachel Jones from uh, Wolverhampton, I've decided. So uh, thanks very much for, for <laughs> being our friend. I do too. Thank you very much, Rachel, and hello. We also have Brendan McHale from Dublin. Like Christina McHale. Indeed. Yes. Right, Brendan. Sorry, where was Brendan from? From Dublin. Oh. oh. Hello, we got- Brendan, in Dublin. Quite a lot of like listeners Dublin. in Dublin, and mm. uh, and I, I don't know why. I just I I find that really lovely. I love I love the idea of lots of people in Ireland listening. Everyone to us. finds sort of <laughs> Irish things lovely, don't they? Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to feel anything negative about Ireland. Hello, Brendan. Thank you very much. And third today is Elise Lane from Newcastle upon Tyne. Like. Elise Cornet? No, like Elise Mertens. Oh, that. Oh, oh right. Mm. Right, Elise. Bet she's got a good backhand. Is that Elise Merton's best shot? I think yeah. so. Yeah? Okay. Solid, uh, I, solid as I a rock. I accept that. She's still in the um, tournament, isn't she? On court tomorrow. <laughs> she is still yeah. in the tournament, David. Uh, she plays Daniel. <laughs> Daniel <laughs> I have not thought tomorrow. about Elise Merton's all tournament <laughs> no, until now. No, nobody has. <laughs> Daniel Collins, Elise Merton's opens up the Rod Laver Arena. Then it's Halep against Corney. <laughs> As well. She could do the double, David. Uh, then it's <laughs> Alex de Menor against Yannick Sinner. Night session is Fritz Itzapas, followed by Kanepi Sabalenka. Love that, but those two matches should be the other way around. And not before 2pm is when the single starts on the second court. And that, David, is when you're not allowed to set your alarm for. But it is when Maxime Cressy against Daniil Medvedev starts. 
but uh, I can and that's set my followed video by Iga Svantec and Serana Castella. So David is going to get in a time machine, go back <laughs> to the 90s and set his video for Maxime Cressy against yes. Daniil Medvedev. And uh, we'll be back with the tennis podcast. To t- 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 <laughs> we'll be back with the tennis podcast tomorrow uh, to review it all for you, just in case you don't have a video. We'll speak to you then. <laughs> 